Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning to our viewers online as well. So can you believe that Thanksgiving is over and Christmas is right around the corner? Right? I think like weeks ago they started playing Christmas music at the coffee shop. Like, like feels weird to listen to it that soon. Uh, so this is the first week of Advent. Um, and Advent is a time of remembrance. It's a time for preparation. Uh, it's remembering Christ's birth and preparing for Christ's return. I think many of us at this time of the year, uh, we do a lot of remembering. Remembering Christmases when we were kids, remembering Christmases when we were adults with no kids, Christmases when our kids were kids, uh, Christmases with the grandkids, Christmases that went right, Christmases that went wrong. Uh, there's something about the past that many of us uh, find compelling. We look fondly, we look sentimentally, maybe even sorrowfully at the past. Um, past experiences, children who were once small, now they're grown, family and friends we had who are now deceased. Sometimes we reminisce about a slower pace of life. Uh, we think fondly, at least some of us do, about having fewer technologies. Um, no email, no internet, no cell phones. Uh, it's almost like we want to go back in time. Take lights, for instance, fluorescent lights. Even though they are cheaper, even though they are more efficient, most of us tend to prefer candles and a cozy fireplace, or at least like warm, indirect lighting. Uh, we prefer that to a room with sterile white fluorescent lights. My wife and I are big fans of candles. We have them all over the house. Like, odds are, if, like, we die, it'll be because our house burned down from candles. So, <laughs> sometimes my humor is dark, so I apologize. <clears throat> Even the fact that we celebrate anniversaries and birthdays, um, those aren't just milestones, they, they help us relive days gone by, right? Many times in those moments of celebration, whether it's holidays or anniversaries or birthdays, we remember how it used to be, uh, that longing for a reality that no longer exists. And that's why I titled my message this morning, Longing for Days Gone By. Um, this longing that we have isn't a new thing. Uh, it actually goes back to the very beginning of creation. Although none of us ever lived in Eden, uh, deep in all of our souls, we long to be there, right? In paradise. Deep in the very fabric of our being, uh, we, we all long to be there in a time of innocence. Uh, there was no evil. There was no corruption. There was no shame or guilt. Adam and Eve could walk in the garden in the company of each other 
and of God uh, and feel no guilt, no shame, no embarrassment, um, even though they weren't clothed. It was a time of peace. There was no struggle between people or nations. There was no anger. There was no hatred. There was no animosity. There was no mistrust. There was no violence or aggression. Um, even between the animals, there was peace. Right? And man had no fear of any animal, not even bears or lions. Minnesotans probably wonder if it ever snowed in Eden. Um, if it did, it was just beautiful, and it didn't make you cold. I know this because Adam and Eve had no clothes, right? So it was a time of harmony. Um, each of the creatures, um, each part of God's creation had a place, had its place. And all worked together to accomplish God's will. And then Eden was lost. Um, the scriptures tell of that loss in the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent and the fruit of that tree in the middle of the garden. Um, when the story ends, everything is different. Um, Adam and Eve are now ashamed of their humanness. Um, anger, enmity, mistrust, uh, all of that becomes a new way of life. Adam and Eve are removed. They are expunged from paradise. But as far removed as we are from that reality, um, as broken and damaged the world we live in is, uh, that longing for Eden and everything that it represents, uh, where we finally get to see and experience real innocence and peace and joy, um, it's still there within us. Right? The words of the prophet Isaiah that we just heard speak to that longing. Um, that longing to, re to recover what is now only just a very distant memory. So I want to reread verses 6 through 9 of today's reading. They say the following. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cob and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. So this scripture uh, was depicted in a painting called The Peaceable Kingdom by the 19th century American Quaker artist. Uh, his name is Edward Hicks. And they're going to put a picture of that image up. Yeah, there it is. So they'll keep that up, uh, keep that up while I'm talking about it. So you can see the wolf and the lamb, bottom right, uh, the leopard and the goat in the middle, 
Uh, the calf and the yearling being safe with the lion, just to the left of the bull in the middle there. Uh, and then to the left of that, the little child that's leading them all. Uh, you can see the cow grazing next to the bear, up in the top right there. And then the cub and the calf lying next to each other, uh, right in between the cow and the bear. And the lion and the bull are looking at each other. And if you look real close, like I had to zoom in to see it, um, but they're both eating hay. And I think those two little kids in the bottom left are uh, playing safely near the hole of a cobra. And you can see them like putting their hands out. I'm assuming they're putting their hands in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. So on a side note, if you look in the background uh, to the left there, you'll see Native Americans standing together with white settlers. Um, they're making a peace treaty. So that's because this painting was inspired by a peace treaty made between William Penn uh, and the Lenni Lenape tribe uh, back in 1683. So, Penn negotiated peace with, and he purchased land from uh, these, this Native American tribe, a land which would eventually be called Pennsylvania. Oh, I found a funny version of this image uh, where someone added a slightly modern touch. They'll put that up there. I thought that was funny. Like, it's truly like... Eden, if like the cat can sit over the fish and not eat them, right? <laughs> All right, so let's read verse one of our scripture this morning. It says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. So a shoot will uh, spring up from that stump, um, that chopped down tree that is David's family. Right? The line of kings that extended uh, from David through Solomon and onward uh, lasted for about 400 years. Uh, but then it was cut off, at least as far as kings like, who were actively ruling in Jerusalem. Right? Babylon defeated Judah and carried that king off into exile. And then the, the physical line of descendants continued, but they no longer reigned as kings. Right? Other powers took over and ruled over the Jews. So it was first uh, Babylon, then Persia, later Greece, and then Rome. And so the royal line of kings was cut off. Right? It was like a tree that's just cut down. And what was left just looked like a dead stump. So how could another king come from that dead stump? But what Isaiah is prophesying 700 years before Christ uh, is that a new branch will appear from the roots of that stump and it will mark the beginning of a new age with the coming of the Messiah King. Verse 2 says this, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we see here that God's Messiah will have the, the spirit all over him, will have the spirit within him, right? We have never seen 
anyone in leadership like this, right? No congressman, no senator, no governor, no president, right? The people in Isaiah's day had not seen a leader like this either, right? This tender shoot from David's family tree um, will have the Holy Spirit totally empowering him, right? He won't try to accomplish ministry by human means, but he will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what it's saying here. And because of that, he will exercise his judicial duties uh, with both wisdom and understanding. Um, Unlike any leader throughout all of human history, right, the Messiah will not need a cabinet of advisors, right? He won't need any kind of political means or strategies, right, in order to accomplish his plans. Because the Holy Spirit will give him counsel and might. He knows, he alone knows what needs to be done. And he has the power and he has the might to accomplish it. Everything the Messiah will do will flow from a deep, intimate relationship with God. Right? For he has the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's what the scripture is saying here. Verses 3 through 5 say this. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. So this king uh, will not be elected by, uh, he won't be elected to his office by some kind of vote, right? There will be no vote. Um, He will reign by the authority of God, and he will rule by the standards of God. Um, And he will exercise his rule down to the very lowest levels. So he won't just judge and rule us collectively, Right? He will judge and rule us individually. Right? He will see each one of us for who we really are. Right? So he will judge us according to reality and not according to appearances. And no one will be overlooked. Um, he will deal with us with precise justice Um, He will evaluate our whole life in accordance with the perfect holiness of God. And when he pronounces his judgment, it will be final. Everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be made righteous and will be saved. Everyone else, the Bible calls these people the wicked. Um, they will spend an eternity separated from God. Which is a terrible, terrible place to be. Right? Because God, if you think about it, God is the source of all hope and love and joy and peace and even light. Like He is the source of all of that. Bible calls this place of eternal torment hell. Um, Not a place you'd want to visit. 
Okay. I used to love to uh, read the books and watch the videos, uh, the teachings of Rob Bell. Maybe you know who Rob Bell is. I used to be a big Rob Bell fan. <laughs> Say used to be. I'll explain in a minute. So I owned all of his NUMA videos. I, had, I read all of his books. Um, he's amazing at connecting the Jewish roots of Christianity with pop culture. It's like amazing. Like brings to life these, these kinds of Jewish background to, the, to Christianity. Um, gives, gives you a fresh understanding of all this stuff in the Old Testament. Like he, he started his church um, by preaching through the book of Leviticus. Like who does that, you know? But it, I mean, I've listened to it. It's, it's compelling. It's, it's, it's amazing. But the last book I read uh, by Rob Bell was a book called Love Wins. Um, which basically was a move towards universalism, uh, which says, universalism, universalism says that God eventually saves everyone and no one will have to go to hell. Um, hence the title, Love Wins. Um, the problem with that is that hell is real. It is real. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Um, it is the core reason why I do what I do as a pastor, other than being called. Like, that is the, because without Jesus, there is no hope. Like, that's like fundamental pastor 101. <laughs> like, I'm not here to just, like, you know, play church. Here to, like, see people get saved from the fires of perdition, right? Because without Jesus, there is no hope. Every once in a while, someone will have a vision uh, of going to hell, this is interesting, and then write a book about it. Um, one of my favorites, if I can use that word, <laughs> not a book, uh, someone going to hell, uh, is a book called 23 Minutes in Hell by Bill Weiss, W-I-E-S-E. -E. It's called 23 Minutes in Hell. Um, so by his grace, the Lord let the author spend just 23 minutes in hell and then come back and, and warn us. Um, he saw, here's just a, like a summary, like if you were just to read a summary, this is what he saw. He saw the searing flames. He felt the total isolation. Um, he smelled the putrid and rotting stench. Um, he heard the deafening screams of agony. <laughs> this is like an Advent sermon, right? Um, screams of agony. He, experiencing, he experienced the terrorizing demons. And finally, he felt the absolute relief when God pulled him back out of the pit. Um, um, relief that no one will ever experience because once you're in, you don't come back out. Another of my favorites is a book called uh, A Divine Revelation of Hell by Mary Kay Baxter. Um, and with this lady, um, over, I think it was 1976, when she um, experienced this, it was, so it was over a period of 30 nights, um, she had visions of going to hell with Jesus. Like Jesus was sort of like, showing her around, kind of, kind of like if you've ever read Dante's Inferno, you know, he's kind of show, showing him around. 
So just like the, the previous author, uh, she experiences the sights and the sounds and the smells of that dark place of torment. Um, she sees the various punishments of lost souls. She gets to hear some of their stories. It's fascinating. Um, why, why would people, like, why would God let people experience hell and then, like, send them back to tell us about it? Because each of us needs to experience the miracle of salvation in Christ before it's too late. And we need to continue to pray for our friends and family members who don't yet know Jesus, right? Time is running out. It is. All right, so let's leave hell and go back to heaven for a bit. Back to verses 6 through 8. Again, it says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. This is one of the most beautiful descriptions like in the whole Bible. Right? We get to see what life is like under this king's rule. Uh, we see the very nature of the world has changed. Right? Predators and prey are no longer natural enemies. Um, the rules of life will be changed. Everything will bend in the direction of gentleness and peace. Right? Not just any peace. But shalom, right? Which is a deeper, like a more sacred, more whole uh, sense of peace. The future world under this king's rule is a picture of peace. Um, everything returns to its divinely intended purpose, right? The curse that sunk the world in darkness and fear and even death vanquished. It's a day where in Romans 8 it says this, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verses 9 through 10, the last two verses in our passage today, fill out the rest of the picture of what life will be like under this new king. Um, verse 9 starts out, says, nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. So hurt refers to everything that's evil, everything that's bad, everything that causes pain. Um, destroy means like decay or ruin. Right? Isaiah tells us that on that day, like all crime will cease. Everything that we do that causes pain to one another will be gone. Why? Verse 9 continues. It says, For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Everybody on earth will know Jesus. They will love Jesus. He will be the absolute Lord of all creation. 
right? And the Lord of each of our hearts. Verse 10 continues, says this, In that day the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. So the world's pretty divided um, over this child who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Right? When he was born, essentially, um, Jesus drew the line in the sand. You can't be neutral about this baby because he won't be too neutral about you during the day of reckoning. Right? His first coming um, was marked with humility. Right? He loved us so much that even though he was completely innocent, right, for our sake, he was willing to take on all the guilt of our sin, past, present, and future, and he was willing to take on the wrath of God on the cross. Um, but three days later, of course, he rose from the dead, right, by the power of God, and he later ascended into heaven. The Bible says that he will come again, right? Only this time it won't be in humility, right? It won't be just to a few people. The Bible says every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He won't be like the king or the president of a country. He will be the ruler of all creation, and he will rule in the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll completely rid this world of the curse of sin. And by his word, by his word, he will return all of creation back to the way God originally intended it to be. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more pain or death or loss. For the former things will have passed away. And all of our heart's longings will be satisfied in him forever. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've probably already heard all of this. I'm not telling you anything new. But the truth is, it's easy to lose sight of that vision. Right? It's hard to remember that image during the dark days that we live in. Right? But it's during such days that we need to remember this image more than ever. We live in a violent world, right? Just look at the news recently, right? There's a shooting in Colorado. Uh, there's a shooting in the Walmart in uh, was it Chesapeake, Virginia, which we lived in Norfolk for several years, so I, I know that area. Uh, just two days ago, there were school shootings in Brazil, um, and, of course, a war going on right now. Um, we know this biblically, but we forget it. Violence doesn't beget peace. Violence begets violence. Unfortunately, we live in a culture of violence um, that glorifies domination, glorifies might and power. But Jesus' way is the opposite. 
It is the opposite. Um, His way is not a way of domination and might. If you don't believe me, read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Right? They'll come up there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. The prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray uh, includes this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus calls us and the spirit empowers us to help bring this future reality of peace and justice into our present. This vision of Isaiah's uh, is a beautiful vision of harmony between people, between people and creation. Um, what we think of as like natural enemies now eat and play together, right? Wolves and sheep and cows and bears and children and poisonous snakes. I'm going to put my finger on this a little bit, okay? You don't have a problem with cows and bears eating together and and, uh, sheep and wolves. But can that image include both the poor and the rich? Can it include both blacks and whites? In, In my home, they call me mocha. I'm somewhere in between, so... Neither white nor, you know, anyway, that's it. Can it include uh, conservatives and liberals? Mm. I think there'll be both conservatives and liberals in heaven. How about Christians who don't agree with one another on every point of the faith? Um, I'll just take some that I've heard since I've been here. Young earth, old earth. Some think the uh, earth is, you know, millions of years old. Some think it's 6,000 years old. If you do a timeline, you know, biblical timeline, that's where they come up with that. Um, How about when Jesus is coming back? The technical term for that is eschatology. Do we need to agree on all points of that? No. We just need to agree that he is coming back. Uh, Here's another one. I'll put my finger on it even more. How about women in ministry? It's another one. How about how we interact with culture? Should we interact with culture? Right? Should we protect ourselves from culture? Should we be indistinguishable from culture? I would argue that we should be Redeeming and restoring culture, transforming culture, because that is evidence of the coming of that future reality of the kingdom of God is where we're, he is redeeming and restoring all things. So it's not a protective, isolationist kind of mindset. It is a go and redeem and restore and bring the power and the presence of God wherever you go kind of thing. Christians can get pretty heated about these kinds of things. Um, okay, here's some more. Can that image include both Israelis and Palestinians? There's plenty of hurts that go back for years on both sides, right? It is not this like black and white issue. 
Can that image include second and third and fourth generation Americans and immigrants? What do you mean? Like, why do I say it like that? Because unless you're, <laughs> unless you're a Native American, uh, we all immigrated at some point, right? right? I'm second generation. Uh, my father was not born an American. He was born uh, a Filipino citizen. Um, he actually had to go through all of the, you know, learn all the things, be tested in order to become an American citizen. Then he joined the U.S. Navy, served for 30 years, retired. Can we imagine a time of peace, uh, a peaceable kingdom, like that painting and our scripture this morning? Um, and can we work to help make that happen, right? As kingdom people, we are called to help bring that future reality into the present, right? We're not to just sit and wait for Jesus to come back. Um, he will come back when the Father tells him to. In the meantime, we are to be about his kingdom business working to bring that future reality into our present. Um, so what does that look like? Well, the prophet Isaiah says that uh, in other uh, places, uh, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He is to bring good news to the poor he is to comfort the brokenhearted. He is to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. Right? He will rule with justice towards all. He will show mercy towards those who are most vulnerable. Right? The little ones. The defenseless ones. The innocent ones. Right? Those who are marginalized. Like those who are oppressed, those who are forgotten. Um, they are all to be protected and cared for, right? So we should each ask the Holy Spirit, um, how can we bring good news to the poor? How can we comfort the brokenhearted? Um, how can we stand up for and with uh, those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed, those who are forgotten. How can we work towards justice? How can we move towards action? Right? Certainly we should pray. Certainly we should give. Um, but should we do more? Should we send a letter of protest? Should we make some phone calls? Uh, should we serve the poor or those who are most vulnerable? Sometimes we feel like we can't make a difference. But we can. Sometimes, sometimes we're just afraid. Right? And our fear keeps us from doing anything. So we gate our homes and we gate our hearts. We don't need to be fearful 
We are not powerless, right? We can begin to live out Isaiah's vision. We can begin to work towards bringing that future reality into our present. Through prayer, through giving, and through action. I know as a church uh, that we are called to work towards bringing this future reality that Isaiah prophesies about. I know as a church that we are called by God to love on our community. Um, I've been praying since I got here about what that looks like, trying to take some baby steps. I'm all about just taking little baby steps. Uh, last Christmas, if you haven't been here for a while, like, like I, before I was in ministry, I used to be an opera singer. So last Christmas, I sang at a couple nursing homes. I'll probably do that again this year. Um, our Lifetimers group is actually going on December 8th to Carroll at a couple uh, nursing homes, Pioneer and Broen. If you want to join them, there's info in the bulletin this week. Uh, last summer, uh, I volunteered with Doug Newby, who's, who does announcements. He's one of our elders, uh, helping with the Lake Region Run. Um, also went with Jerry Covington. He sometimes serves on the worship team uh, to a place to a belong. Um, that's a place in the community that serves those with mental illnesses. This fall, I've reached out uh, and started hanging out with the pastors who lead the Salvation Army, uh, Anthony and Alicia Norden. Uh, we realize that we have a mutual love of games um, when, when I went there for a recent game night. Um, and a couple months ago, uh, I agreed to serve on the board at the food shelf in the, com in the community here. Uh, I've been going to board meetings the past couple months, and in a couple weeks, I'm going to go uh, during the food distribution. So I'm hoping that we can start building relationships with ministries in our community and start serving more. I don't know what that looks like. I'm just trying to follow the lead of the Spirit, see what doors are open, see what opportunities present themselves. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll be taking up a special offering, uh, Pam mentioned that, for three ministries in our community, like we did last December. Uh, so pray about participating in that. Um, you'll also have an opportunity, like we did last year, to bless a family uh, at Christmas, either in the community or a family that might be in need here at Life Church. Um, they might not be able to afford presents, um, and so we can be a blessing that way. That, that ministry uh, is near and dear to my heart. I've mentioned this before because I grew up poor, and there were several Christmases where it was the local church who actually provided presents for my sister and I because our family couldn't afford them. So pray about participating in that. Uh, if you want to help out with that outreach, um, like if you want to be part of the team that's doing the behind the scenes kind of stuff, you can, there's information out of the table there. Um, if you are a family who is in need yourself and want to be the recipient of that, there's more information out there in the table. But starting next week, we will have uh, the trees with all the little ornaments. You can come and sort of adopt a family kind of thing and go buy Christmas presents for kids who would not have them otherwise.
All right. Um, so when we look all around us, right, we see the brokenness that's in this world, right, the evil, the corruption, the violence, people hurting, people addicted. Sometimes we don't even need to look around. It's like right there in our own family, right? When we see a world all around us where right is wrong and wrong is right, um, where truth itself has been abandoned, right? I could talk at length about this, how postmodernism kind of created this dissolution of absolute truth where I've, I've said this, like I can spend two hours with somebody arguing what I would think is a well, a good defense for the gospel. At the end of that two hours, they would say, you know, that's what works for you, but here's what works for me. You know, it's like there is no absolute truth. Like that's the world we live in right now. Um, truth itself has been abandoned. Um, and when we pray, <laughs> we pray, Lord, like fix it, do something about it. Like this is horrible. Like it's just getting worse, right? Those are our, <laughs> those are our prayers. At least those, those are some of mine. And he will, but it's interesting. He so often answers those prayers by telling us to do something about it, right? You and I are part of his body, right? You say the body of Christ it is his church, big C church, church worldwide, right? We are called and empowered to help bring that future reality into our present, right? That's what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer um, where we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's not a sit and wait thing. We're not just called to pray for his kingdom to come. We're called and empowered to bring that future reality of the kingdom ourselves. I would encourage you um, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit these questions. How are you calling me to help bring that future reality into the present, even, even in a small way? How are you calling me to bring that future reality into the present? How are, how are you calling me to show God's love to the lost, the last, and the least? Who are those people in my life? And is there anything I need to give up or stop doing in order to do that? Now, there are there are things that you have to consider, you know. There's this thing about setting healthy boundaries. There's this thing about, you know, um, not putting yourself in an unsafe situation. You know, all of those kinds of things are important. But as a rule, we want to be open to, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How can I be, in some, even a small way, conduit of your grace to bring that future reality into the world we live in. As followers of Jesus, uh, as members of his body, as those who are filled with his spirit, um, we are called and we are empowered to bring that future reality, even in a small way, uh, into our present, to bring peace and justice and wholeness and shalom. Right? Uh, we can't put it off for one more minute or one more Christmas. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your birth. Lord, thank you for your life. Thank you for your sacrificial death. Thank you for your resurrection and your ascension. Thank you that you are coming back again. And we will one day see a return to Eden where there is perfect peace and perfect justice and wholeness and shalom. I pray, Lord, empower us by your spirit to help bring that future reality of your kingdom into our present reality. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would nudge us, you would speak to us, you would show us how we can do that, each one of us. God, may we be a people marked by your presence, empowered by your spirit, to help bring your kingdom to Fergus Falls and the surrounding communities. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.